How many of you remember a time there were, uh, there might have been more, but three stand out in my mind, uh, kind of three things that uh, the church church folks really frowned on. Playing cards, going to the movies, and what was the third? Dancing. Uh, those three things, those get you in trouble. Uh, that was a devil's workshop. Uh, our passage today, the book of Mark, I don't know uh, where the movies and the cards came from, but uh, this passage in uh, Mark chapter 6 may explain to us uh, why they're so nervous uh, about dancing. And so if you will look with me in uh, the book of Mark, the uh, sixth chapter, and uh, we'll uh, look at, uh, at this story. And uh, you're going to have to stick with me in there. It's kind of um, a little bit, I'm going to have to kind of, uh, it's a little bit like a play or a TV show. Uh, there's some characters here, and then there's the setting of the story, uh, and then there's the theme. And uh, it's going to take a little bit to get to the theme, but you got to understand the people involved and the setting involved uh, to be able to understand uh, the, the lesson that I think, or the lessons uh, that uh, are being taught here. So in uh, Mark chapter uh, 6, we'll be starting in verse uh, 14, and uh, this is uh, really, uh, if, uh, again, I know some people don't, uh, but uh, if, if you write in your Bible, uh, this would be a good place, beginning at verse 14, uh, to put a parenthesis and then down uh, at uh, the end of verse 29 to put the other parenthesis. Because uh, if you remember last week when we left off, uh, Jesus had uh, commissioned the disciples and sent them out two by two. And so they're going out to uh, do the work. He says he gives them uh, power uh, to, to preach and to, uh, to heal and to uh, other gospels to drive out demons. And then all of a sudden we have this little story uh, stuck in. It's uh, almost as if um, Mark uh, kind of, uh, the disciples go out uh, and while they're gone, uh, Mark, it's like there's this audience watching the disciples go out and Mark says, now while they're gone, I'll just tell you another story. Uh, and kind of insert this uh, into uh, the story because in verse 30 we're going to pick back up with the disciples coming back from being sent out two by two. But this is just a little, uh, little sad story that uh, Mark wants to tell us uh, as the disciples are going out, this over here uh, is happening at the same time. And what it is, it is the story uh, of a man named Herod, uh, Herod Antipas, uh, or Antipater. You'll see it in uh, different places, worded different ways. Uh, he was part of uh, this horribly wicked family, uh, just an evil bunch, and we'll uh, dig into that just a, a little bit uh, in a moment. Uh, but he is the uh, governor, want to be king is what he wanted to be, uh, the governor 
uh, of the area that Rome has appointed and uh, just uh, again part of uh, an evil, evil uh, family. And so as we start in this passage, and uh, it's a long passage, and uh, I wanted to uh, send out a, a message yesterday and have you to read this ahead of time because it is uh, so long so you can be acquainted with it, but uh, thank you. Uh, Mr. Apple, whoever's running Apple now for updating my phone and making it where it won't work. Uh, I'm glad you updated it to be, be a brick now. So uh, I, I was really needing uh, a new brick. Uh, and so uh, it wouldn't, we couldn't send it out. But, uh, but uh, we'll kind of, I'm just going to tell the story. You can go back and read it later. Let's talk about uh, for a moment here the, uh, the people uh, that are involved uh, in this story. This, character, this, this story uh, could be a soap opera uh, on the afternoon television. This is a, uh, it, it's a drama. Uh, it's almost a comedy. If it wasn't so sad, uh, it's almost laughable, uh, some of the things uh, that, uh, that take place. And uh, this story is actually, uh, not that we need it, uh, but it is confirmed in a number of uh, external uh, histories uh, of the time, Josephus is one, uh, several other uh, Jewish historians uh, corroborate this story and uh, even add a, a few more uh, details to the story and, uh, and tell us about some of the characters uh, that uh, are involved here. Uh, again, mainly uh, the Jewish historian Josephus uh, really fills us in, especially uh, on some of the characters uh, that uh, are involved and uh, then uh, one of the church fathers Jerome uh, writes some uh, about this story a couple of Roman historians even uh, cover uh, this story so it's, uh, th this is a story that got a lot of uh, you know a lot of coverage this wasn't just covered by the local newspaper this one got network coverage this one uh, got uh, a lot of people talking about some of the things uh, that were going on. The main, not only not the main character, uh, but one of the ones that drives the story uh, is man we know again as Herod. Uh, and studying Herod can be a real challenge in Scripture because there's so many of them. Uh, you know, I don't know how many of you uh, know, keep up with any kind of sports, but, uh, you know, George Foreman, you may not know him from, from boxing and sports, but he's the one with the group. Uh, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, he named all his sons George, George 1, George 2, George 3, I don't even know how many of them there are. Uh, well, these Herods were a lot uh, the same way. They uh, they named they, they used that name uh, over and over. This particular Herod uh, is uh, the most common. He appears uh, more than any of the other Herods uh, in the New Testament, uh, and he uh, his time coincided with uh, the ministry uh, of John the Baptist uh, and Jesus. He was uh, he was ruling during uh, their time, and again, most of the time, uh, Antipas uh, is uh, just called Herod. Uh, we don't even use his full name. He was that uh, that well-known uh, a person to the writers at that time, and so they just call him Herod. Uh, just a little side note there: anytime you're reading scripture uh, and you come across the name 
Herod. Uh, you may want to dig just a minute to find out which one uh, of this crazy family you're talking about. Because, uh, again, there are, I believe, at least five different Herods that uh, are accounted for uh, in Scripture. And one of them uh, wasn't even part of his family. He was just named Herod. And so you have to pay close attention uh, to this. Uh, actually, uh, I said five or eight, excuse me, there's eight of them uh, that uh, are, are listed here. Uh, and again, uh, his name was uh, sometimes called Antipater, sometimes Antipas, uh, uh, but most of the time just known uh, as Herod. Uh, he was the son, uh, you see the term sometimes, Herod the Great. Uh, and I'm sorry, I know some of you thought uh, you were out of high school and wasn't going to have to take history anymore, but uh, the history here is important. Uh, it really is. Uh, he was the son uh, of, again, you see this name in Scripture, uh, Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the ruler uh, when the wise men came looking for Christ. If that gives you any uh, kind of uh, timeline. Uh, and Herod uh, was uh, a great builder. Uh, did uh, a lot of uh, a lot of work around there. Uh, again, like most everybody in this family, he was mean as the devil. Uh, and he was, I mean, he was a murderous. You know, he was a nasty, nasty man. Uh, that just, you know, just was a, uh, you know, uh, just a family tradition uh, that uh, you be mean uh, and nasty. Um, one of the things that these Herods uh, like to do. Um, they like women and lots of them. Uh, they like wives and lots of them. And that now they didn't believe in divorce too much. They just killed them. Uh, you know that was you know that was their way of moving on. That way you don't have to pay out on me, I guess. You know they uh, they just kill her. Uh, that was how they you know went from one wife to the other usually. Uh, they did occasionally have a divorce mixed in, but uh, again, that was one of their uh, things that uh, they uh, they were known for. Um, and it was actually one of these wild marriage stories uh, that is the backdrop uh, for what we're going to talk about uh, today. Uh, Herod has uh, a unique situation which ultimately led uh, to the death or the execution uh, of John the Baptist uh, in, uh, in, in this passage. Uh, Herod uh, was uh, paranoid. He was jealous. Uh, he was, again, think of a negative adjective, and it probably applied to Herod. Uh, that's just, I mean, they were just, again, a, uh, a nasty, nasty family. Again, they killed their wives. They killed their sons. Uh, you know, if they happen to think they had a son that had eyeballs uh, on their on their position, he got to go. Uh, I mean, this was just again just a uh, so again so you can imagine if they kill off their wives and sons, what they do to the neighbors. Uh, I mean, these, again, these folks were just uh, a, a rotten uh, group. The Jewish rabbis, rabbis, rabbi, rabbi, that don't sound bad either. But the Jewish rabbis. Uh, had a saying. They said it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than to be one of his wives. Uh, that's how bad uh, he was. Uh, again, this is a, a, a rotten man. Um, Herod the Great had intended to kill 
Antipas. Uh, the Herod in this story, his daddy wanted to kill him. But he died before he could kill Antipas. So Antipas uh, becomes the maid, the, the ruler of four little small uh, areas. That's why you see him called Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, he, he's the ruler over uh, four little areas, but his burning desire was to be called a king. Don't forget that. That's an important piece of this story. He really wanted to be called king. Uh, and so, in that regard, uh, the only way he could get that, he actually tried several times to get uh, Caesar to call, label him as the king of that area, ultimately leading to his uh, exile. But uh, because he wanted to be king, he ended up marrying uh, the daughter of the king of Arabia. How in the world has been ever getting anybody to marry him? Uh, you know, the retirement benefits just wasn't that good. Uh, you know, uh, but he, he married the daughter of a king. And that was his roundabout way uh, to be considered royalty, uh, was to marry a princess. Um, and so uh, he marries her. Pay attention, it's about to get twisty. Later on, after marrying her, uh, he, he marries uh, Arius, daughter of the king uh, of Arabia. He goes to Rome, where he meets the wife of one of his brothers, Philip. He seduces her and persuades her to leave his brother and come home with her, him, to Palestine, um, which ultimately led to a, a great big war between his wife. I got to figure out which one of these women I'm talking about. That's why you can't. That's why I don't understand why a man married more than one woman. I, hard enough to keep him straight. Uh, between his wife's daddy and him, uh, and his wife's daddy put a whooping on him uh, because of what he did to his daughter. Every day in the room, so they uh, and But uh, so uh, she found out what was going on in Rome. And so before Herod gets home with his girlfriend slash wife, sister-in-law, oh, niece, I forgot to throw that in. She's actually his niece on top of that. Um, his wife finds out and runs home to death. So he brings home his new wife, uh, again, who is the wife of his brother, his sister-in-law, and also, uh, I forgot exactly how to lay it out and get it right, but she was also his niece. So that's his new wife. Her name is Herodias. That's our next character in this story. Uh, Herodias could be called the Jezebel of the New Testament. She was, uh, again, if you remember, Jezebel wanted the head of the prophet Elijah, uh, but she wasn't successful. Herodias was the granddaughter of Herod the Great. She was the granddaughter of her husband's dad. Okay? Family tree looks something like this. Yeah. 
No branches on their family tree. None. Okay? Uh, again, Herodias, um, excuse me, she was not Herod's niece. She was Philip's niece. Her other brother got that wrong. She was Philip's niece. Hey, I'm an only child. I'm not used to keeping up the family relations. Yeah. She was her first husband's niece. Her next husband's sister-in-law. This woman was her own grandma. I don't know. It was, you know, this was a, you know, this was a unique bunch. Um, Philip, her first husband, he wasn't into politics, but he was a very wealthy businessman. And so again, she actually seduced Philip to marry her so that, for the money. Y'all got all this straight now? Good. That's part of my point, is I'm trying to prove to you how messed up this family is. This family is some kind of messed up. Um, again, finally she ends up uh, with Antipas. Uh, again, her brother-in-law. And again, yeah, that's right, he would be her uncle too. Philip's her uncle, Antipas is her uncle. Yeah, that's right. So she was with one, she was married to one uncle, now she married her brother-in-law and her own. Um, again, they go back. The princess found out. She goes running home to daddy. Um, they never divorced. The princess and Herod never got a divorce. She just went home. Uh, she just packed up her stuff and probably some of Herod's and went home. And when she did, uh, her daddy promised to get revenge. Third character in this twisted up story is someone that the Bible actually does not give us her name. We get her name from um, historians, from Josephus and others. The daughter of Herodias and Philip back in Rome, her first husband, who now Herod would be her stepdaddy and her uncle. I know. I'm, I hope you're confused. Uh, honestly, uh, again, that's my point. It's how jacked up this whole family was. Um, but Josephus tells us her name is Solon. Um, the really sad thing about this is the word that's used to describe her in the Bible is for a very uh, young uh, teenage, maybe even a preteen uh, young lady. Um, it, it is um, uh, the word that is used to describe women of a marriageable age, and generally women in that time got married at 16. So this was a very young girl. Uh, it is the uh, same word we used a few days, a few weeks ago, to describe the daughter of Jairus, who we know was 12 years old. So she was a very young girl. Um, Herodias plays her like a fiddle and uses her young daughter to get what she wants. And then the final character is John. We all know about John. We spend a 
John didn't want it. John was upset that Herod was married to his niece's cousin's nephew's sister's brother's aunt. Yeah. He didn't like any of that. He didn't like that he had not divorced his first wife or that he had he just basically run her off. And so John made a regular habit of publicly preaching about the man who wanted to be king. You don't have to be real smart to figure out how that went over. Um, you know, made John be voted most likely to succeed. Uh, you know, John was routinely uh, preaching against it because Herod uh, is now, not, I don't know if you say he was married to, but he's sleeping with his sister-in-law slash niece. And uh, because of him preaching against this, it embarrassed Herodias, and so Herodias wanted Herod to kill John. So there are a bunch of inbred murderers is what we got here. Alright? Uh, you can imagine. You gotta do something about him. Well, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Herod didn't want to kill him. Uh, matter of fact, it appears Herod kind of liked John. So instead, he arrested John and put him in jail. And again, uh, we know again from Josephus that he was in prison uh, near in a fortress near Jericho. Um, archaeologists, just down a little side road just a moment, archaeologists have actually discovered the remnants of this jail, including the balls. So another piece proving uh, the legitimacy of this story. Now, that's the character. And character is the right word for this group. Um, let's talk for a minute about the plot. What's going on? The location. Start with, we've got two important things, two important places in this story. Bible tells us there's a great big party. Big birthday party for Herod. And from, again, from history, birthday parties were a big issue in Herod's family. Uh, and Herodias knew that there'd be a bunch of drunks at this birthday party. By the way, I'm not giving you the King James version. I'm giving you the Jimmy version. Uh, but she knew there'd be a bunch of drunks at this party, and she said, this is my opportunity. This is my chance. If they'd be drinking, they'd, and as things went on, and you got a group of powerful drunk men sitting around laughing and carrying on, it won't be long till the conversation turns to women. And probably off the deep end on the conversation of women. And it wouldn't be long before this bunch of drunk old men would be wanting, and I don't like this phrase, but I'm going to use it, some male entertainment. Okay? They want some women to dance. Okay, so I, I don't know, it's just, they want, they want to see some women dance. Okay? So, uh, 
from what we can tell from reading this story, their parties go along and they are pretty well pickled in this crowd. And so Herodias makes her move. She goes and gets her 12 to 16 year old daughter, dresses her up in the floosiest outfit she can find, and sends her young daughter in to dance for her drunk stepdaddy slash uncle and his drunk friends. That's the kind of thing we were dealing with. This dance, just to, again, I think you understand this, this dance, the, the dance was not unusual. The 12-year-old Salon doing the dance is a little bit unusual because ordinarily they would have had some dancers at this party, but to be blunt, they would have been prostitutes. That uh, They would have been uh, the court dancers. Uh, but Herodias decides to send her teenage daughter uh, to do this dance. Something that, again, she would have been considered a woman of authority. Um, she would have been considered a woman of, uh, or a young lady of position because of who her stepfather, uncle was. Um, she would have, and, and ordinarily, a, a, you know, a woman, a lady, a girl, female in that position would have never been the one doing the dance. Dancing was not unusual. Who was dancing was what was unusual. But she goes in in her bluesy outfit and she dances. You look in verse 22, Herod likes her. Evidently, I don't know if he didn't recognize her or what. If he did, it's even worse. But in verse 22, he likes it so good that in his drunken stupor, he says, ask me for anything you want. And I will give it to you. Men, how many of you know that's a dangerous thing to tell a woman? Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he made an oath in front of all his drunk buddies. I can only imagine that she's out here dancing, and Herodias over here in the corner and when she heard him say you can have anything you want gotcha gotcha Salome goes and says to her mom what should I ask for she looks at her daughter and says you go back and tell her you want the hate of John the Baptist. Now I don't want to give Salome a completely clear title here, a pass, because you notice Herodias says, tell him you want John the Baptist to hate But if you notice when she goes back, she says, I will be head on a platter. She adds to it. Herod's a mess. He's made an oath in front of all. Can you imagine? I got a feeling everybody in that room sobered up real quick. 
Herod in particular, because he had, we know, began to listen to some of what John, again, it appeared he liked John. He just put him in jail to bless his wife. And she says, and, and, and again, his wife's been warning him to execute John. He wouldn't do it. And he knows he's had You can only imagine some of the thoughts run through his head. I know who put her up with that. I stuck my foot in my mouth. I messed up. You know what was some of those wild thoughts. How can I get out of this? All his drunk buddies are gathered around going, now what you going to do, big boy? See what you do now. How you going to handle this? He knew John was a man of God. But he made an oath in front of all of his guests. I wonder, if I was let to say it, if he tried to negotiate with him. Listen, I give you three of these guys' heads. It's not John. No. Four of them. Sure, his friends were. <laughs> yeah. I give you a bunch of money. Nope. Not John's head. I give you horses, chariots, gold, you name it. Nope. I want John's head. And I want it now. He had no choice. That's the story. That's the characters. Now, let's draw some lessons from this story. Several really, really important lessons for you and I for living from this story. First of all, from Herod, uh, excuse me, let me, let me say one of them. We've got the prison, uh, the other place where John was being held. Uh, you can imagine when, when John heard him, heard the guards coming down the, the hallway and he, he knew things were up. It's, you know, it, it's all over. Uh, it, it's going to, uh, you, know, it, you know, something's up. So what do we learn for us? Some great lessons here that we learn from this story. First of all, from Herod, what do we learn? In Mark chapter 6, verse 14, it says, King Herod heard of it. For his name was spread abroad, and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works to show forth themselves in him. Others said that as Elias, and others said that as a prophet, or as one of the prophets, when Herod heard of, he said, It is John whom I beheaded, he is risen from the dead. What happened here is Mark has told us this story. This story of the execution of John had happened already. Now Herod hears about Jesus and the great miracles he's doing and the great work he's doing. And because of that, Herod has a panic attack. He says, oh no, John has been resurrected. John has come back to get me. John has been resurrected. Uh, this, you know, he, he didn't realize who this was. He didn't acknowledge this was the Messiah. He didn't understand that. What he thought was this man that he's now hearing about traveling the countryside, doing miracles, healing people, doing great work. This has to be John because this sounds like some of the things he would do. And because of that, he's having, he, he's having some sleepless nights. What do we learn from Herod? Herod teaches us that a guilty conscience is an awful bad thing to have. 
Herod teaches us that, uh, that, that having a, a guilty conscience, uh, and, and you don't really see it so much in, in the English, but if you look at it in the Greek, when he says, this is John the Baptist who I beheaded. The I is emphatic. He says, I did it. I'm the one responsible. He acknowledged, I'm guilty. Listen, what we see from Herod is again that, that a guilty conscience uh, here, again, for him specifically for hurting, uh, killing uh, an innocent man. God has given every one of us uh, a conscience, and God has given every one of us uh, that, that, that knowledge, and we are aware to know right from wrong. And generally speaking, when we feel guilty, it's because we are guilty. Especially for a person who professes to be a child of God, when we have sin in our life, here, here's, the, here's the reality. If you claim to be a child of God and you can see it and nothing in you goes ding, 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 ding. Something's not right. Because the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and bears witness with us. And if you can sin and you can continue in sin and nothing convicts you and the Holy Spirit doesn't grip you and the Holy Spirit doesn't bother you and, and, and lead you and convict you in what you are doing, you need to ask yourself a very harsh question this morning. Do I really know Jesus? You can't profess to be a Christian. You can't be a genuine believer and continue to live in sin and continue to go contrary to the will of God, continue to go contrary to the Word of God and never feel any conviction over it. Herod shows us that conscience will drive us, uh, it will cause us sleepless nights. Listen, but the good news this morning is you don't have to live with a guilty conscience. You don't have to keep that guilty conscience. First John tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A guilty conscience, you can you don't have to live a life looking over your shoulder. You don't have to live a life with guilt. The Bible tells us that He has cleansed us, that He has washed us white as snow. We don't have to do that. That Christ went to Calvary to pay for our sins. You don't have to live like Herod. Herod, you know, this is the one we have recorded. How many times do you think, if, if Herod felt that then, how many times do you think Herod thought, was that John? Is that John? Is that John? Every time he heard about somebody preaching, is that John? Every time he saw somebody kind of look like him in, in an old, uh, old camel hair coat, is that John? You ever been that way? Do something, you know, think back maybe when you were a, a, a small child and you did something and you just knew, Mama knew. Every time you heard her come in the house, you thought she knows. Every time she come down the hall, she knows. Listen, we don't have to live with guilt. We don't have to live with that hanging over our head. He's promised to separate us 
uh, from our sins as far as the east is from the west. A, a, a guilty conscience is a horrible thing to tote around. Every one of us at some point in our life have done that. We, we've had something that was hanging over our head. The Bible tells us though our sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Here it teaches us the danger, uh, the miserable condition of, uh, of a guilty conscience. The last mention we have of, uh, of Herod in Scripture gives us a horrible picture. At the end of Jesus' life, the Bible tells us uh, that God was sent from Pilate to guess who? Herod. And at that point, the Bible says that it was under his conviction, uh, under his, the, 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 the decision of crucifixion was up to Herod. And Luke tells us when Herod saw Jesus, he was glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season because he heard many things of him. And he hoped to have some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him in many words, and he answered nothing. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught, and mocked him and annoyed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to power. Jesus came in and just wanted to see him do a miracle. He just wanted to amuse himself. He'd come to the point where now he has no conscience. You can keep going long enough and seal your conscience. Conscience is a terrible thing. It's a good thing, but it can be terrible. What do we learn from Herodias? Herodias tells us that hatred is a terrible thing. Someone has rightfully said bitterness is the one thing in the world that does more harm to the vessel it's stored in than to whatever it's poured on. Hatred will destroy a person. I could, I could hate CD with a just a burning, passionate hate, and most likely he would know it. He'd go about his life and never miss a beat, but it would even be alive. Hatred, terrible, terrible thing. Herodias hated John. How bad? Would you have to hate somebody to put your teenage daughter up to ask them to have their heads cut off? Hatred. Guilty conscience is a terrible thing. Hatred is a terrible thing. The sad story uh, of Herodias tells us that this hatred was like a cancer. I'm sure it started out kind of mild, but then over time, as John continued to preach, it just began to grow. It's like a pot ball. You know how you put a pot on the stove and turn the heat on and the little bubbles start, and finally the big bubbles start, and if you leave it alone, eventually it'll roll over the top. Her hatred, John. 
It affects us. It affects those around us. It affects our family. It endangers everything. Just like, just like a, 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 a pregnant woman taking crack cocaine. It doesn't just affect her, it affects that unborn child. It affects her family. It affects her parents. It affects uh, everybody around her. Hatred. Every time. Listen. Remember, I mentioned I didn't really call her name. But the scorned wife, the one that went home to her father, two years after Jesus was crucified, his ex, the father of his ex-wife, King Arras, and his soldiers came in and conquered Herod and all the territory. In shame, Herod and Herodias go to Rome. When he gets there, his nephew, angry about all the things Herod had done, convinces Caesar that Herod was guilty of treason. And so Amphipus the man who desperately wanted to be king, stripped of every bit of power, every bit of property, every title, and he was banished to the Isle of God. The worst part of his punishment was that Herodias was sent with him. They deserved each other. They were sent together. And they both died and were buried in unmarked graves. Hate. Guilty conscience. So long. What do we learn from her? Be sure your sins will find you out. The Bible tells us that. Be sure your sins will find you out. The story of Herod you, 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 you couldn't tell anybody that story. I know. Again, I hope you were confused, honestly. I want you to see how messed up this family was. The Romans were amazed at the parents and their family story. Very little in Scripture about Salome, but historians record for us a lot of things. Her life was a life of tragedy. She eventually moved back to Rome where she went through a number of husbands, failed marriages. And according to the historian Cassius Theo, she died, listen to this, she died while on vacation in the Alps. She and her friends were crossing over a frozen river when the ice cracked and she fell in. And in an effort to 
to rescue her from the freezing waters, a piece of the jagged ice cut off her head. Be sure your sins will find you out. From John. What do we learn from John? Oddly enough, the victim in this story is the only victor in this story. The victim is the only victim. The man that had his head cut off is the only one. Jesus said of John, no man born of woman did he break. Guilty conscience is a terrible thing. Carrying a load of hate is a terrible thing. Be sure those things will find you out. And what sometimes looks like the victim in this world is the victor in God's world. I'd rather be counted as a victor in God's world than to be the king of all of Palestine. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than wealth and
You've got sin you've been trying to hide. You've been trying to keep it covered up. And you think nobody sees you. Maybe they don't. But God does. Be sure your sin will find you out. Father, we thank you today for giving us this story, inserting it right into the middle of the story of your disciples. And God, while for a moment it's kind of entertaining to read about this messed up man, to read about their escapades. God, with all of them, we see how sad the end result of a sinful, wicked lifestyle turns out to be. God, this morning, there may be people here today joining us online in this room with their conscience at home. Lord, it doesn't have to be. You want to forgive them. You want to cleanse them. You want to wipe it clean if they just come and confess. You've told us we confess. You've cleansed us from all our lives. But maybe somebody here today carrying a lot of hate. Somebody from maybe years ago, maybe all the way back to childhood. Maybe a parent. Mother went to school with a neighbor. Put it on the altar. Because we know our sins will find us out. We give the glory for what you do here today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And you have to stand again.
on the 15th, there's a timing. Again, if you don't sign up, we'll have some extra, but it sure will help us. Don't have a bunch of extra. Uh, and so, uh, you sign up, and uh, again, if you, you don't have to list everybody in your family, just put, um, you know, Daisy and Warren or whatever. Uh, so, we just get a number uh, for that. So, again, if you bring in a dessert, Maybe a drink if you've got something special you need to drink. Um, so, um, you know, that's caffeine free or whatever, uh, something like that. Uh, so remember that on the 15th after uh, our service. Uh, and um, see, um, remember our uh, comfort treatment on the 28th. Stop picking up uh, candy as you see it on sale, and uh, to have a, a good turnout uh, now that uh, people are um, not having to worry about uh, COVID as much. So uh, remember that. Uh, also, this coming Saturday at nine o'clock, uh, we need uh, folks uh, to help do a little cleanup downstairs uh, from our flood. And again, I I'm not a chauvinist. Uh, I don't mind. I can sit and watch a woman work all day long. That's my wife. Um, but uh, it may be something, y'all, ladies, you may not want to. Uh, we're going to have to tear out some flooring. Uh, we've got water, we've got wet. Uh, and so um, you may not want to uh, be party to that. But if you do, bring your shovel and dig right in. Uh, and uh, remember that this coming Saturday. All right, let's bow as we proceed. Heavenly Father, I uh, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, allowing us to worship together. I thank you for uh, each person here today. God, go with us as we read here. God, that your word would uh, find a lodging place in our heart. God, that we would be uh, careful in all that we do. God, that we learn from these characters in this story. Uh, keep each one safe. Bring us back together. And we give you the honor for it all. Jesus, name I pray. Amen.